What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Well, we've got another really good episode for you today, and our guest is Anton Krupichka, and we caught up with Anton to, well, to talk about a whole host of things, including his return to racing, we talk about exploring other ways to move through the mountains, we get his characteristically and completely unfiltered take on Murakami's What I Talk About When I Talk About Running, And that turned out to be such a fun and interesting part of the conversation that we agreed that we ought to reread that book and then later this fall come back to record another conversation dedicated to it. We'll probably be doing that in like early November. So in addition to listening to and I think enjoying this conversation, I'd like to invite you to join us in rereading Murakami's book, and then you will be all prepared for our conversation about it. And with that, I don't think we need any more of an introduction here. So let's just get to it. Well, Anton, how are you today and where are you today? Uh, I'm well. I'm in Boulder, Colorado in my apartment. And it's early September and it's still blazing hot. Not a, not a fan. <laughs> it's like 95 degrees right now. Wow. <laughs> Sweating. But yeah, so that's how I am. You need to come see us in Crested Butte. I, it's definitely cooler here right now. So if you, you, you know, if you need, if you need an escape, you let me know, come this way. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll take care of you. Yeah. It's, it's right on the cusp of leaf peeping season, I feel like. So it's, it's good. Yeah. 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 Hey man. How many days has it been since Leadville? Oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, what is today? Thursday? I guess two and a half weeks? No, I guess it'd be almost three weeks. Yeah, yeah. God, time yeah. flies. Yeah, yeah. That's, I don't know. So what is that? 18 days or something? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It was already long enough ago where it felt like it was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And you're like, you're like moving on to the next thing now. Like, Oh, what's next? Like, uh, do I need to rest or can I like do something else? Or, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. how, how are you feeling? I mean, 18 days out, are mm. you like, man, I'm feeling great. Or is it like, Oh, we're getting there. This is always a very ambiguous time of year for me with regard to how my body's doing how my mind is doing because I, I basically go hard all summer long and then the days start getting shorter, the nights start getting cooler, and my body just crashes at some point. Like I, uh, my energy levels go way down. I like lose all motivation for a couple of weeks. So I usually around this time of year, usually towards the end of September, take at least two weeks completely off. Hmm. Um, I kind of tried to do that in the recovery from Leadville, like these past couple of weeks, like right after the race, in the hopes of well, a I had to recover from the race, but b uh, being able to still squeak out maybe another couple of weeks of high energy output activity here while the weather is really good. And, you know, it's like the, the high mountains are still open. It's, this is generally the best time of year for weather, you know? Um, so it's always a shame to be feeling like I want to be resting instead of mm. getting after it in the mountains. Yeah. So, I don't know that that's where I'm at right now. Kind of just like, uh, trying to figure out what my next month is going to look like, but yeah. Yeah. I am always curious by which I mean, deeply skeptical when I talk to any runner who's like, oh, I'm taking two weeks off, like, what does that actually mean? Because I feel like you guys me, all sneak out and actually do some, like, 
more than one would do you know when it's like oh i'm taking yeah. two weeks off it's like no you're not 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 true okay no, not true for me when i'm i mean these last two weeks have kind of been like that it, it's been super low-key you know post leadville but when i'm talking about a fall break it's a real break i don't do anything um I mean, I, because, you know, I'm barely a runner anymore. <laughs> I'm more of a, I'm more of a cyclist and a climber and then in the wintertime a skier. And, uh, so when I say I'm not doing anything, like I'm not doing any alternative other than running activities. Like I'm not doing anything okay. because I just, I get exhausted and it's, uh, I need that couple weeks to like, I think let the endocrine system recover more than anything, you know? Yeah. And then eventually like that bounces back, which then means like my, my motivation bounces back and I'm like good for another year basically you hmm. know so yeah hmm. i love it i'm barely a runner anymore says the guy <laughs> who just podiumed at leadville these, these yeah but it's like, it's just kind of the case though i mean it, it, perhaps in comparison to the kind of runner i was say five or ten years ago mm-hmm. you know or for the majority of my life up until the last five or ten years so yeah because i was just psychotic with it you know yeah over the top but yeah well why don't we talk about that Let's talk a bit about being a going from being a psychotic runner to then <laughs> transitioning to then you know I don't know again doing things like entering Leadville and uh, and uh, yeah and hitting the like, podium. So let, what's your definition of a psychotic runner? Uh, I mean, this is the stuff that I guess I'm known for in the running community and why I have a name. It's just I used to run so much. Um, and this would have started, well, really my whole life, you know, having done a marathon, my first marathon when I was 12 years old, uh, to then going into college and experimenting with 200 mile weeks before I graduated and had ever run an ultra. Um, and then, uh, you know, I was yeah, doing a lot of 25, 30 hour weeks when I was uh, just a singular ultra runner. And then even when I abandoned that, you know, I kind of, I had a number of years where I was doing really high volume uh, vertical gain, uh, you know, on my feet, uh, which, you know, putting in 50K a week in terms of vertical gain, that kind of thing, which then, you know, you end up getting a lot of miles too, because if you do 50,000 feet of vertical, it's, it's going to be over a hundred miles that week as well. So, um, I just used to run a lot more, spend a lot more time on my feet in the mountains and I've always, I always dealt with injuries, but then I would say 2015, there was a real shift in that I got a stress fracture in my shin that just was nagging and nagging. It took a long time, it took the whole year to go away. And then I had uh, IT band problems for like a year and a half. And then I've had this Achilles tendon problem, which is ongoing uh, since 2017. So it's, it's been the last, yeah, six years of, I've really not done much running and I've done a lot more biking, skiing and climbing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. This was one of the things I was, curious to hear more from you about is I was familiar with kind of the physical injuries and I was less clear about things that we often end up talking about with runners, kind of the, the mental component of this, or just things like kind of feeling burned out, maybe not so much even physically, but just, Mm -hmm. but just mentally to what extent was your stuff more strictly on the physical side, you know, than the, the kind of mental burnout side. Oh, virtually like virtually a hundred percent. Like my, uh, (laughs) my motivation levels are usually sky high and, you know, to my detriment even, uh, 
and I, I would just muscular my musculoskeletal system would just break down yeah. and so i'd be forced into time off and then that has a real like psychological effect but it wasn't that i was like didn't have the motivation for running it was more just i didn't have my like antidepressant anymore yep. you know yep so i guess that's why uh eventually when you just have injury upon injury upon injury you're like well i gotta change something here and for me that was picking up these other activities just kind of filling that void of movement in the outdoors and you know over the years my passion for them has developed to at least the same extent as the passion I had for running, you know, and I still have that passion for running, but not, not the same monomaniacal singular focus for it, I guess, because there's, I don't know, there's just each time I would pick up a new activity, I would mm. kind of realize how there's this whole other world out there you know, yes. that's not running. Yep. That is like, there's like a whole like history and culture and tradition in each of those activities that I, I don't know. I love learning about and diving into and, and, you know, trying to connect to and even become a part of in some way. And um, that was just, I don't know, that just freshness, I guess, um, made it easy for me to really dive into those things and not just pine away like, oh, gosh, I wish I was still able to run as much as I used to, that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. No, that that's huge. And by the way, you and I were talking before we hit the record button a little bit about sort of generalizations, right? But one of my personal frustrations sometimes with sort of traditional running media is that it sometimes seems a bit, again, rightly or wrongly, we'll see what you think of this. It just sometimes feels to me like, oh my God, like we're only allowed to talk about running or, mm -hmm. and, and I'm like, I don't know, like, I think running is great, but I think mountain biking is great and skiing is. And like, there's a lot of ways to be outside and moving. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that listeners of this podcast will know is I often, like a lot of people who come on, like folks are pretty familiar with their resume, but I'm kind of like, let's talk about some other stuff, right? That mm. That's kind of outside of this. Cause you know, so I don't know if that resonates. Maybe that is an unfair characterization of like traditional running media. I just think it's fun and interesting to not like to bring really accomplished runners on here, but maybe remind us all that there's a lot of different ways of being outside and moving and exploring the world. And exactly like you said, exploring different activities and their histories and the rest. And and I think that's a, it's a really cool thing that kind of resonates with me. And that's one of the things that I find so interesting about your own story and, and kind of what you've been up to. Thanks. Yeah. I mean that, uh, what you just said about how there's a lot of different ways to be moving in the outdoors like that, that's been, I would say the epiphany of my life of like the last, well, really 10 years, you know, um, and it's, I, it's something that I can get frustrated with in the running world because a lot of people in the running world, they, they are, uh, and this isn't a bad thing. It's just the way it is. Like running is this really efficient activity. Like you only need an hour to get a great workout. You know, like if you go out on the bike or God forbid you go skiing, you know, it's, it is such 
a faff and it takes all day kind of, yeah. you know, and, and that's super nice. So I understand how people can get really focused on this one activity, but I do find it a bit limiting. And for me, I guess I kind of developed that attitude about it just because it was taken away from me, you yeah. know? And, yep. and so I, so there was a point in time, uh, maybe a year or two where I was almost like, I don't know, bitter or cynical about the running scene because I couldn't do it. And, uh, so it's like, well, if, if it's not going to love me back, then like, you know, screw mm. it, you know, I'm not mm -hmm. into it kind of thing, you know? And, um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but that's all to say that like, I still think running is an absolutely like, it's a magical form of movement, you know, because it's so pure and elemental. There's not, anything between you and, and what you're doing out there, you know, with climbing, you have a rack of gear and a rope and a partner and skiing, same thing. There's just all the stuff, a bike, you got to get your bike ready. I mean, it's yeah. just, it gets really complicated and with running, it's so pure and simple and easy. Yes. And, uh, yeah. so I don't, I don't want to shit talk running, I guess is what I'm saying, but I do identify very deeply with what you're saying. Like there's a lot of different ways to move in the outdoors. So, yeah. yeah. And as somebody who like reviews gear for a living, that Oof. is one of my very favorite things about running is like, like you just said with bikes and with skis and there's all this stuff you're bringing with you. And it's like, when it's time to run, just throw a pair of shorts on and a pair of shoes and out the door. And I love that. I love that. Yeah. So, and I guess that's the point, like all this stuff can kind of have its place, you mm -hmm. know? And, um, and it's like kind of cool to be able to move between them, appreciate all of them for what they are. You know, you go to certain, you go to running when you're sick of all the gear, heavy stuff. And, you know, <laughs> right, right. It, it's fun. <laughs> or to, when your body lets you. you oh, know? <laughs> yeah. When your body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I blew up my shoulder um, in May, to, blew, tore all the ligaments in my AC joint, mountain biking, broke four ribs. And oh, so I was wow. like, well, yeah. guess what? Um, running was the first activity I was back being able to do. And I was fucking grateful for that, you know? Right. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I've always, since I've branched out into this other stuff, it seems like I'm always able to find something that my body can do, you know, and yeah. while, while I'm letting some other little niggle kind of rehab or heal. And, um, so yeah, I'm, and I just think it's made my life so much more diverse and enriched, you know, having the suite of activities to, to choose from than rather than just having that singular focus. But I mean, to have, to achieve success and to like, uh, reach the highest levels, you have to focus on something singularly, yeah. you know? And yeah. I mean, that's what I do with running for, I don't know, 20 years at least. So, yeah. 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 And I mean, you mentioned what first marathon at the age of 12. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what was like from age zero to 12 about? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I was really into, uh, the outdoors, you know, I wanted to be, you know, my heroes were like mountain man, Jim Bridger, like that kind of thing. I grew up in yeah. Nebraska. So like, I didn't grow up in the mountains or anything, but my family would take trips out West to the national parks every summer. So I was exposed to them at a young age and was always enthralled with them. But back home it was, uh, yeah, building forts in the woods. And I mean, I'm, I built like a log cabin. We, I grew up on a farm, so we had plenty of land for me to roam over. And, um, I don't know. I was a very, uh, I read a lot. 
I mean, hmm. I still read a lot, but you know, when I was young, I was reading a lot. And I mean, I, I had a, a ton of energy. I remember this would have been before I became like a daily runner. Um, it had been in the fifth grade. <laughs> my teacher put a mask tape, like a masking tape um, X on my chair. It's like, she's like X marks the spot. Like, this is where you sit. You know? <laughs> like, because I would always just be like jumping up and running around apparently, you know, and I don't, I absolutely don't have like ADHD or anything. I'm just not. I'm a, I can be a very focused person, but I think I just had a lot of energy, you know, yeah. um, until I found something I could pour that into. It was just like going all over the place. So, huh. yeah. I'm still always kind of envious when I hear somebody say that they were really into books and reading young. I mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't get there till later. And I just sure, always think yeah. like, what a missed opportunity. And it's all hundred percent my fault, you know, but, um, well, I don't know. I mean, it was, for me, it was just my parents. That was the only reason that happened is like mm-hmm. I have their guidance, you know, they pushed it super hard and, uh, you know, not like in a, an aggressive way, but yeah, it was, it was a value for them. You know, like yeah. the house I grew up in is just, there's it's wall to wall books. You know, my yeah. mom was my high school English teacher. And, um, so yeah. Okay, except my house that I grew up in was wall-to-wall books, and my parents are <laughs> avid readers. I just was so dumb and stubborn that sure. I was kind of like always like I want to be outside, you know, kicking a soccer ball around or, a, you know, shooting baskets or something. And mm. so, yeah, my poor parents, I still feel they tried so hard. The dinner table, my dad would be trying to like teach me Greek, like just some words, some simple stuff. And I'm like, no. And I'm like, man, yeah. what an idiot, you know? So anyway. I know. I, exactly. Yeah. You can't, you can't fault kids for yeah, doing what they want to do. You know? I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I feel better. Sure. Um, yeah. So that's really helpful in laying out kind of, you know, from zero to 12 12 you're really getting into running keeping on that you know that even intensifies through college and the and the rest sure. then you have a number of injuries that kind of push you oh, to the start injuries, they, but the, but the injury started soon like you know i did yeah. that i did that uh that marathon the summer before my eighth grade year mm. and i was like you know i hadn't gone through puberty yet basically like yeah. i was just i was impervious i could i could run so much and then uh you know i started doing 100 mile weeks then i was 13 years old but then i got a stress fracture like my freshman year of high school and that was my first major injury and it's just really since then since 1997 or 98 whatever it's just been like injury after injury for the last 25 years you know so (laughs) i don't know the injuries have been a part of running for me since as long as i've been doing it yeah Uh, yeah yeah i want to bring us back to Leadville in a minute, but I think it would be interesting to just hear you talk a little bit about, you know, you've talked about climbing and biking and kind of bike packing, bike touring. Mm-hmm. Just yep. I, I talk a little bit about what has been particularly interesting and attractive about those different, and then skiing. Let's so all three of those mm-hmm. as a committed, passionate runner. What's kind of been interesting to you about those three different activities and diving into them? Well, there's there's two different levels. I think there's like the technical side of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the all the gear, all the skill, all the technique. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I can really get excited about that stuff. But then there's 
the more, oh, I don't know what word to use here, maybe spiritual or mm-hmm. just kind of like the, it just goes like they're, they're all the same thing. They're all like focusing your mind and body in such a way that you feel connected to your surroundings, you feel connected to yourself and all that is integrated in a way where you're, I don't know, you hit some kind of like euphoric transcendent plane, you know, which those are, those are, those words are so heavy and kind of overblown, but I mean, that's really what it is, you know? Yeah. Like and, in, and if you've know, you know, I mean like, yeah, you know, it's the flow state. It's, it's some kind of, I mean, I, um, uh, I've never done any kind of like, well, beyond caffeine, any kind of mind altering drugs. Um, but everything that I've read about that stuff, I'm like, oh, I don't need to do necessarily like mushrooms or acid or anything because mm-hmm. I think I know, I think I know what they're talking about, you know, mm-hmm. but it's always, but it's occurred. I've had transcendental experiences outdoors, moving my body innumerable times, you know, it's like, that's, that's the goal always is getting to that spot, you know, and you can't do it. You can't do it intentionally. It's just something that happens, but it only happens when you put in the mileage, you know, like when you put in the time. And, um, so I don't know, that's, that's what connects all those things for me, I guess. And that's why it's all the same thing, you know, it's, uh, so I mean, that's one level, but then on a more, on a less like woo woo, more, uh, maybe like tangible level. It's the, it's the whole experience of, kind of introducing elective hardship into your life as a means of pursuing personal growth and uh, learning more about yourself and the world around you, you know? And uh, I'm in the fortunate position of being a straight white male in the first world. So I don't have a lot of endemic hardship in my life, uh, but I think you need challenges and things to kind of like work against on a regular basis in order to, keep progressing and growing as a human. Uh, and that's what these things provide for me. Hmm. I'm curious to know sort of how you got say to that point, right? I mean that you just said something that one could call it a kind of philosophical stance or a kind of principle, right? Like, Hey, if you're in a fortunate enough situation, I think there is a real need to create some, stress and struggle in a life to start to explore different limits and and the like you you've said all that really well yeah and is to, that and stuff like experience oh, sorry i was just gonna end to like experience joy like if you are mm. always just like on the even keel like yeah if you're always just stable and comfortable life gets pretty like bereft of any kind of satisfaction or joy after a certain point because it's just like eh, everything's just you don't you don't know you need that variety. You need that up and down, you know? Yeah. And so, sorry, I'm going to interrupt. No, not at all. That's a great, that's a great point. And, and to, to piggyback off that, like, it's funny, right? It sometimes feels like we spend a hell of a lot of time pursuing comfort, like mm-hmm. making our lives more and more comfortable. And yet there is like no correlation between being comfortable and experiencing joy. Right. Uh, only yeah. There's not unless that comfort is like immediately following some real hard struggle. You know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then it's and then they're exactly the same thing. Yeah. Then, then the joy is through the roof. Yeah. You know. But um, yeah. You need to have you need to have those ups and downs. Uh, I think in order to to feel like 
I don't know, just to have the full spectrum of the experience of life, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So this all makes me interested in asking you about sort of some important influences on you, whether that was a runner, a different athlete, an author that really made an impact on you from an early age. But if you were asked to name, I don't know, two or three or four kind of pretty seminal influences on how you see the world and maybe what coaxed you into certain lines or activities or trajectories in your life, what comes to mind? I mean, this is the boring answer, but it it's just the truth. And my parents are my number one mm-hmm. influencing factor. Uh, you know, both of my parents are, um, well, were, uh, I don't know, curious, intellectual, uh, stressed the life of the mind, like the importance of the life of the mind, I guess, that kind of thing. And, uh, that, but then also, um, kind of, oh, I'm not sure what word to use, but, but just always like kind of grading against the status quo Hmm. or like, you know, the mainstream is sort of inherently not the ideal, (laughs) you know, which, which could be, you know, when you're, when you're in middle school or like high school and you're just trying to fit in, there could be some angst surrounding that, you know, because you're all you're trying to do is assimilate to the mainstream when you're that age, you know? Um, but absolutely it instilled in me kind of a, not an anti-authoritarian authority, like kind of mindset, but like a bit contrary and just like, yeah, letting, wanting me to, uh, you know, find your own way, I guess and questioning what it is everyone else is doing. Like, is that the right way? Mm -hmm. Uh, So definitely my parents were where that came from. Um, But then beyond that, I don't know that the, the influential author kind of thing is always a little bit baffling to me because it's not so much that an author influences me with its, with like their way of thought. It's more that I just get inspired how certain writers are able to tap into the human experience and express it. And then I'm able to connect to that. And I'm just like, damn, like that. I just get inspired by their writing because they seem to um, be able to like synthesize and have an insight about the human experience that I'm personally able to connect to. And then so that makes you feel good, you know. And, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, one of my favorite authors is David Foster Wallace. Mm. And his thing was always the point of literature is to make you feel less alone and I don't, I don't agree with that, I guess. It's like, I don't, I don't read a novel looking, like trying to identify with something else um, because I'm like lonely in the world or something, you know, but I do, but I think what he's saying there about how, um, what, like when you, when I'm reading something, I'm like, when, like, what is it when you call, when you read something and you're like, oh, that's good writing. What you're really saying is that, you can understand what that person is saying with their writing. And like, you've had the same experience, you know what I mean? And so when it connects like they, like that's, you're like, Oh my God, they just, they nailed it. You know, it's because you've had this experience that they're somehow relating through their writing. And so I guess in that respect, he's correct in that, you know, good writing makes you feel less alone. Yeah. Um, so I guess you could say he's influential and just, well, I would say that he's influential 
in some kind of like subtopic areas of uh, just looking at the world and trying to understand it. Uh, you know, the things that he's had to say about, you know, the need to pay attention, not let your default mind take over uh, the sort of the detriment or maybe not even the detriment, but just the phenomenon of entertainment in people's lives and, yeah. and what kind of like deadening effect that can have. And, um, you know, those are all concepts that I think about a lot in my own life and try and try and stay on the right side of those things, I guess. But I don't know if that counts so much as influence as uh, just being a little bit inspired by, I suppose. But yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it does sort of count and you explained it well. And uh, I agree with you. I kind of agree with everything you just said. The way that my experience would sort of go, especially if we're talking about fiction writers, mm-hmm. I think the best fiction that sense. So when you said, I'm not sure I agree with David Foster Wallace when he says the point is to make us feel less alone. But the reason I go to fiction in particular is when you hit the right passage from the right author, I feel like it literally illuminates your own experience. Like you went from yeah. a, you went from a place of darkness and not understanding to like they just unveiled sort of the world to you and it's that it's like literally physically when it really happens like it takes my breath away when you don't even really know that that is in you until like you read that and you're like oh yeah no that's exactly right you know like i've had that in some way you know and so yeah it, it is exactly it's like a it's like an unveiling or a pulling back of a curtain yeah letting the light in i don't know that's yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. Hmm. I have to ask, anything you've read recently that kind of knocked your socks off? Oh, that knocked my socks off. Uh, <laughs> the funny thing about that is this year I've been rereading a lot of stuff, hmm. which is something that I always resisted in the past because hmm. there's just like so much stuff to read. You know, I'm just always like, so much. oh, there's, yeah, like you're never going to get to it all. But then I would... I kind of I, I feel like I hit a streak of books where I wasn't having any of those experiences that we were just talking about. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is frustrating, kind of annoying, and um, so I want to read these things that I know are going to hit, you know, yeah. <laughs> because I've read them before. Yeah, and so uh, I feel like in the past year, maybe even year and a half, maybe like the pandemic, honestly, uh, there's that's been going on. I've been doing a lot more rereading, but like the book I, I literally just finished this morning, um, it's called. Uh, it's by uh, Haruki Murakami. Murakami, Murakami, yeah, yeah. Uh, colorless, gosh, colorless Sukuru Tozaki, I think his name is. That's the name of the title. Um, and it's just this guy who's like approaching middle age, and he's just kind of like trying to figure out like what went wrong with his life, essentially. I'm just not a big Murakami fan, but huh. this one was okay. Yeah, it was like it was like okay. <laughs> I've read I've read some stuff by him that I've been like, damn, okay, that's good. And then some that I'm just like, why do I even bother? And this one's like right in the middle. It's like, yeah, it was okay, you know. So okay, know. <laughs> so big question. Yeah, where do you stand with respect to what we talk about when we talk about running? Oh, that's a great question. I think it's terrible i think it's i think it's i think it's arrogant of mirakami to think that he could write a book about running because he doesn't know shit about running like is it was 
it was his worst book, like hands down. I've maybe only read like seven or eight of his books, but that one was the first one I read by him. And I was like, this is garbage. This is, a, this is embarrassing. Like, I can't believe people think this guy's a good writer. And then, but then I've read other books by him. I was like, oh, I get it. Like he is a good writer, but just not when he tries to talk about running, you know, like it's, ah, that one's so annoying to me, but yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. I think you are the first runner I've ever talked to who just took the opposite stance. I mean, that book seems oh, to get like universal approval and praise. Yeah, because, Mirac- because Mirakami gets universal approval and praise. But that book, I, really <laughs> I love think, this. I, I, I really think he just was like, I'm a good writer. I'm a renowned writer. I can write about anything. I go on a daily run. I'll write about this. But I just found it to be the most banal, like <laughs> cliche. I was like, what? Really? This is what you got, bro? Like, I don't know. I was, I was so disappointed, but huh. yeah, I, I love <laughs> but I, this. But, but it, maybe I should reread it because it was the first Mirakami I read. Ah, because, you know, okay. it's running, you know? And then, like I said, I probably read seven or other, eight other ones since then. And some of his novels, they kill it, you know, one Q eight, four wind up bird Chronicle, like that stuff. Awesome. Um, but, uh, that one, no, I think it's his worst book. Worst book I've read by him for sure. <laughs> This is fantastic. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you liked it. I, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to like. Yeah. Well, people, I people need can to, like what they want. You know, I need to, opinion. I haven't read it in a long time. And so yeah, honestly, it's, it's been like seven or eight years probably. You know, okay. Or whenever it came out, right. Whenever, right. When it came out, I probably read it, you know? All right. But, yeah. Well, maybe we don't have to do this. I, I'm like you, like <sighs> I invent, like if I'm going to start a book, that is like a big commitment. Cause for the reasons mm-hmm. you said, there is a sea of incredible stuff out there. And so if, yeah. if I'm always like, if I'm, you know, if I'm getting into bed with you, particular <laughs> author or title, it's like, sure, sure. you sure that's a good use of these, you know, number of days we have before we're dead. And so exactly. anyway, though, yeah. I'm thinking maybe you and I reread this book and we could do, <laughs> we could come back and be like, are you like no? It's still horrendous, or you do know, a little, I, do a little do a little book review discussion on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I we, feel like I just shit talked it so hard. I have you to did. read it now. So hard. Like, that was amazing. But I had just like a really negative reaction to it when I read it. Maybe my expectations were too high because it's Mirakami, you know. And but anyways, <laughs> all right. Well, I'm. We'll you know we can we can discuss this you know later. But I I think maybe we should do this. Because okay. that was yeah. the strongest. It's super short. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the strongest anti take on that book that I've ever heard. So I, I'm kind of <laughs> delighted right now. Um, hey, this all though makes me want to come back for just a second to Nebraska and your parents. Did you already tell us? Were they teachers? Uh, just my mom was a my mom was a high school teacher. Got it. Uh, at at the school that I went to and. I mean, she was technically an English teacher, but she also taught Spanish and huh. like the drama coach. I mean, these are small uh, public rural schools like this. Everyone does everything. Everything. You know? like, <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. so was she the primary driver on the like importance of reading and the life of the mind stuff? Or was this your dad too? And what did he do? Probably my dad more than my mom. Like, huh. I think my dad had like a huge influence on my mom. Um, uh my dad worked at a, a local nonprofit. Um, it's called the Center for Rural Affairs, and it was 
I guess supporting like the small like small family farms. Um, like one of the major projects he worked on was to get uh, renewable energy sources um, adopted by yeah small family farmers in northeast Nebraska. So we're talking wind and solar basically. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's the work he did. And then uh, I mean I grew up on uh, a 640 acre farm, hmm. but we like we like leased our land to the neighbors and stuff. It was more just to like be living on the land. We had giant gardens and an orchard and a woodlot and all that kind of stuff. Um, so the idea was, you know, a self-sufficient lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so hmm. that's what my parents did. Yeah. That's really interesting. They still there? Uh, my dad is, my mom passed away like hmm. a year and a half ago, but yeah, my dad's still on the farm. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Huh. And he's, you know, 72 now. Yeah. So he's, huh. he's retired. Yeah. Yeah. This is probably the part in the conversation where I actually should get us to Leadville since okay. people <laughs> listening to this are probably like, Every good talk what? Yeah. yeah, what are you doing? Um, tell me when you first started thinking about like, maybe I'm ready, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm ready to, to pursue this. For, for, and, this, for this year, you mean, or yeah. you mean for, oh, for this year. I was thinking um, for this year. Yeah. Yeah. For this year. So I did, um, you know, my main sponsor is La Sportiva and they are a sponsor of the event. So yeah. I knew, I knew that I could enter late if I wanted, because they just had a sponsor spot entering into the race. Um, but I did, uh, I did a, a, a three week bike tour in July, 21 days, 2,300 miles. And on that tour, the point was to link up all of these like state and range, uh, high points. Um, so I was running, scrambling these tall mountains along the way. And I did six different mountains, um, up through Wyoming, Montana, uh, Idaho, Utah. Um, and so on that, on that trip, you know, I was biking over hundred miles a day. Each of these mountains is super remote. Um, and so each run was over 20 miles and like the second to last one was Gannett peak. And that's a 38 mile run from the trailhead in Wyoming, the wind river range. Uh, so I got back from that trip and uh, I was exhausted, but I was also like pretty fit at that point. Um, and so the ongoing thing for me always is my Achilles tendon is just touch and go all the time. And that's why I haven't been able to race, you know, for the past five years almost now. And, uh, I was like, well, let me see if I can get through this trip, see how the Achilles feels coming off of that. And it was good. The Achilles survived. Um, so then I was like, well, it's, it's like, you know, three weeks until Leadville, um, let me, uh, do a long run, uh, to like, see how that goes, see if the Achilles survives that. And then I'll decide if I'm going to actually do the race. So maybe a week after I got home, I did a 42 mile long run. This would have been, it was the day after my birthday. It was August 3rd. Um, so what is that? Less than three weeks before the race. Yeah. That went great. Um, so then a week later I did another 42 miler and then called it good. I was like, all right, I think that's good enough. I, the body survived the buildup that I thought was necessary to be able to do a hundred miles. And so, yeah, I decided to do it. So I guess I decided two weeks before the race. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it was in the back of my mind. Um, once I got home from the bike trip, I started thinking about it, you know, I was like, okay, like physically survive this bike trip. Um, I mean that, that whole trip is a whole nother story and like life changing experience. And, uh, but once I got back from that and recovered, that's when I was like, 
okay, I'm going to try Leadville again. Huh. So, yeah. Life-changing bike trip? I mean, whenever you pursue something so physically difficult on a day-to-day basis, back-to-back-to-back for three weeks straight, like, if you don't come out of that with some sort of have, like, shift in perspective, then what was the point, you know? Like, (laughs) I don't know. It's just... you're so forced out of your comfort zone on a daily to even like hourly basis that you def you have to learn some things about yourself and about the world along the way, you know? Um, so I guess that's what I mean by, by that. I mean, that could be a whole nother podcast, but yeah. So maybe it will be It's well, pretty big it, deal. It's, it's, I mean, I take well, you, I take you seriously when you're like, yeah, life changing. Like, I don't think yeah, you're being no. flippant. No, no, I'm trying not to be, but uh, but it is sort of relevant to Leadville in that coming away from that, I had a, a shift in perspective in my own mind about, um, I don't know, any anytime you, I find this to be a common experience uh, whenever I do something difficult in the mountains, is that you're simultaneously just humbled and empowered, which those seem like a contradictory thing, right? Like or things like you, you, you simultaneously realize just how much you're capable of, but also just how weak and small and insignificant you are. And, um, so I was, that was something that was reinforced to me on a daily basis on that trip, basically. And so I came into Leadville this year with just a much different mindset than I'd had any of the other times I had run a hundred miles or Leadville, you know, I've done Leadville five times previously to this year. Um, and, uh, it was just with like, I would say more humility, but also just like, I mean, for just like, for lack of a better phrase, I guess more mentally tough, perhaps, you know, it's just like, this is not like, none of this is that big a deal or just like more able to, to mentally cope with the physical discomfort of running a hundred miles, I guess. Um, so yeah. Hmm mindset throughout Leadville were you kind of just thinking the whole time like come on Achilles stay with me or was it not were you you know what I mean like are you run were you at a point with the Achilles where you're like no if it wasn't hurting I wasn't really thinking about it or were you kind of like monitoring it all the time I mean, it's my default anymore to always be monitoring it but really really this summer uh has been consistent enough with the Achilles that by the time Leadville came around, I wasn't worried about it. And I'd also made peace with the fact before the race that running the race could like really set me back in the Achilles department. Um, and, uh, that was just something that I was like, I'm, I'm inspired enough. I'm like re-inspired enough by the challenge of racing hundred miles on foot that I'm willing to sacrifice my Achilles to try it again. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, ah, like worst case scenario, I can always take a couple months off afterwards and just ride the bike. And, um, and it kind of looks like that might be what I have to do. But, um, like, I mean, my Achilles is, it's not bad, but it's definitely, it's, it's still feeling the race. Um, Touchy. so yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't forefront in my mind during the race at all. And what was forefront in your mind? Were you like, I'm here to finish this race or 
I'm feeling pretty good, feeling pretty fit. So I'm here to podium or what, what, or do you sort of somehow not come into a race with predetermined expectations? I think you'd have to be so out of touch to not have expectations going into a race. I agree <laughs> with you. I, that's <laughs> like, but, but Hey, yeah. 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 Like, come on. Uh, no, I'm a, I'm a really competitive person and that's something that is tempered with age. You know, I'm 38 now. Um, and when I was younger, that's something that really drove me was like, you know, I just had a, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. I felt like I had something to prove. I always felt inadequate as a runner and ultra running was a space where I finally had success and I had some, I had this context in which I could legitimately, legitimately exert like some like, alpha male ego basically, you know, cause I was good at it, you know? Um, and as I've gotten older, like that's, that's just like waned to a certain degree because you get mature and you just realize that like, this is all silly and you don't need to be proving yourself on a daily basis. And, um, but for this race, I was humbled enough to be like, I don't even know if I can run this far anymore. You know, I don't know if I can finish. Like I was back to that being an uncertainty, which is why I was excited to do it again, because it was an uncertainty. You know, it was kind of a, this fresh unknown uh, sort of terrain again. And um, so I was so the whole point was to be conservative, but always in the back of my mind is like I'm always like when I get in a competitive context, I'm competing, you know. Uh, but I was just determined to be more conservative this year because really all my previous Leadville runs, uh, I was not conservative and it, yeah, you know, I dropped out twice and then I would say the last time I did it in 2012, um, I was definitely not conservative. I finished, I, I think I was, I think I was fourth. Um, but, uh. I blew up at the end. You know, I, I had, I was leading most of the race and then I had like a terrible last 30 miles. So it wasn't a success in my mind. Um, so yeah, I wanted to at the very least finish and I wanted to finish like without it being some crazy drama, you know? Um, so I was conservative, but I knew that I just knew that I was fit enough that I could be conservative and still be vying for at least the top five, if not a podium spot. And, you know, if everything went right, like I thought I could be contending to win, you know? Um, so that, that was my mindset for this. Sure seems like, given everything you've just said, you ought to be feeling pretty freaking satisfied by how it all satisfied. went down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely satisfied. I mean, I was satisfied during the race. Like I, it all just went basically according to plan. The only thing that didn't go according to plan was I got, I was in second place for 30 miles and I got passed with like six, seven miles to go, you know, like, <laughs> so I, you know, I ended up finishing third. Um, it would have been nice to like hold on to second and go sub 17 hours. Cause with the last aid station, May Queen, I, I thought sub 17 was going to be a lock, but then I just think the, uh, seven years of not running a hundred miles, like I just didn't have that strength the last couple hours anymore. You know, I was just, I was just stumping it in instead of, being able to run hard at the end. So that's the way it goes. But yeah, I mean, overall, like I was super satisfied with it. Yeah. It was super fun. And I imagine, I mean, it just seems like a whole lot of folks in this community were excited to have you kind of back and doing your thing. And it seemed like, you know, well, I appreciate the firsthand report, but it, you know, it, it was a great return and um, it's just all really cool. 
And uh, so Thanks, happy to hear that, you know, you feel good about it. I'm happy to hear that you're like able to walk and that the, you're not, you're not <laughs> like, oh yeah, I mean, it did it, but like my Achilles is, you know. No, I mean, my, yeah, my Achilles took a hit for sure, but it's not. I've been in this spot so many times in the last five years. Like it's, I know it's going to be fine in really just like a week or two, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. By the way, on that note, let's talk one, you know, take a minute to talk a bit about some specifics since we've mentioned the Achilles so much. Have you gotten pretty sophisticated about how to manage this thing? I mean, are you doing all kinds of weird specific exercises and the like, or what, what's, what are, what are things like on that front? I mean, I did everything short of surgery on it, you know, like, uh, I, I, I really looked into surgery and I got several opinions about it and, um, decided against it. This was already, this would have been late 2017 when I was doing this. Um, but you know, I've had, I had everything done to it. Like any treatment you can think of, I had done to it, but the thing that really turned the corner on it for me. And this is a couple of years ago already was, uh, working with a PT, uh, here on the front range on really just like my body mechanics, my pelvic alignment, uh, just imbalances in my, in my mechanics basically. And that is ultimately like what allowed it to heal enough to get back to where I could, you know, run consistently on it again. Um, and that's an ongoing thing. And like, I mean, I haven't been, I haven't been consistent on that stuff in a while. Uh, but I think that all the other stuff is band-aids, you know, you, when, when you're doing, when you're doing PRP or stem cell injections or, or, uh, you know, there's so much shockwave therapy. There's so many different things. People do acupuncture. That's all. You're not doing anything about what the actual problem is. You're just trying to like get the tissue to cooperate in some way, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the guy I work with, his name is Brad Ott and, um, he, he goes from a very fundamental basis of, yeah. So, and, and the exercises with him are so subtle and like, they seem like they would be doing nothing. It's, huh. all, it's almost like breathing exercises. You're like <laughs> working on your ribs and, and so they're really frustrating because they're tedious and they're so nuanced and subtle, but they're, they're effective though. So, yeah. Wow. Breathing exercises to fix the Achilles. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's all about just imbalance. Like, you know, like whether, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well that, uh, I'm going to see what other, maybe I can fix my blown AC joint with, you know, go see Brad and he'll give me the proper breathing yeah. exercises. That, that sounds like that was a bit more of a traumatic acute injury than, <laughs> than an overuse thing Maybe. repetitive stress. Fair. Yeah. yeah. This was really cool to connect. And we didn't even get into the fact that you were a philosophy student at Colorado College and had, as a professor, one of my best friends from grad school. So I, that, that I, we, I, I had no idea about that. We got on this call and uh, we were talking a bit before and you kind of blew my mind with that one. So um, uh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll save, you know, a bit more <laughs> philosophy talk for another day, but uh, it's, it's sure, so sure. funny. Uh, you know, the proverbial small world, I guess we, we live in, but. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's funny for me, I guess, because uh, I really only did the philosophy degree at CC as a break from the physics major. Uh -huh. um, like I, I actually ended up with a triple 
major huh. at CC. Yeah, it was uh, physics, philosophy, and geology. Wow. Um, yeah, so I when I was doing physics and philosophy, I did physics and philosophy. I did it, it took me five years. So I did it the first two in the first four years. And I would go over to, you know, the Barnes Science Center and just get destroyed by the math and the physics department, you know, like had to work so hard over there. And then I would go over to the philosophy department, on, you know, because it's the block schedule there um, yeah. where you do like one, one course at a time. And those were like my breaks from the beat down that I would get in the physics department because it's like all you have to do is like, you know, read some Aristotle and write an essay about it. And like it just felt so easy comparatively, you know. Um, but I always thought that physics and philosophy were trying to answer the same questions just with two different techniques, yeah. you know, two different methods. Um, and it always felt like a really natural pairing to me. Um, but it, it always kind of like throws people for a loop. Like, why, how would you do those two things? Uh, for the record, I was much better at philosophy than I was at physics. Um, well, as a good student of ancient philosophy, those Greeks and Romans didn't separate at all. There was no distinction, right? Phusis, right? Yeah, Physics sure, is sure. nature and that it's the same thing. That's much later where we put this kind of divide, you know, put physics in the hard sciences and philosophy over in the humanities. So I, I think you're in, you have many hundreds and hundreds of years of intellectual history on your side to, to, to defend your, your majors and say, no, that's exactly the way this should be done. So I sure, think you were, well, I, I think you did it right. Yeah. I do yeah. love the idea though, that what you just said, you're like, physics was so hard and philosophy was kind of fun. So it was kind of like philosophy was sort of like your recovery run. hundred percent. No, it <laughs> absolutely. was. And physics was like the crushing <laughs> interval workout on the track, you know, it was just like, Oh God, I'm, I'm having like a bit of PTSD just thinking about it. it was, physics was hard for me. I was not, I'm not a natural mathematician, you know? Um, whereas the softer stuff of reading and writing has always just come more naturally to me. But yeah. huh. I really do think maybe we should do a rereading of Murakami. Cause I, yeah, I mostly probably, just, probably right. I just want to hear you like, nope, I was right the first time. It's terrible. And it'll be like a, you know, just like a seven minute rant and I'll be like, okay, great to talk. And that'll, that'll be like yeah, the yeah. podcast, but, uh, it, it might, right. be, it might be, it might be fun to do that actually. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's do that. And we'll, uh, cause you've gotten me really into it too. And I, yeah, I mean, I think just most books deserve a kind of second, third, or fourth reading along the way to really to really get there. And so uh, I don't know what I'm going to say. Maybe it'd be funny if you come back and you're like, no, I love it this time. And, I, and now I'm like, no, that book is terrible. We might flip flop. All right. Th all right think, think about it this way, Jonathan. Think, I mean, have you read any DFW? Yeah. Uh, think about the way he writes about tennis. Yeah. I was just... I was going to ask you what your favorite someone, piece was. Someone, someone could crush it writing about running. Like a good writer could really have just like there, there's so much to, there's so much there when you're talking about running, you know. Yeah. But Mirakami did not. In my yeah. Opinion. But yeah, yeah. Well, that's you may have just said. I would argue. Well, and granted, David Foster Wallace has a, several pieces sort of on tennis, but like the Roger Federer essay. Oh, might really? be the yeah, best yeah. thing ever written about any sport. Sure, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. So you I have a problem is. <laughs> it's, I was going to say the problem is DFW was actually a genius, mm. you know, and <laughs> maybe, maybe Mirakami's not. <laughs> More shots fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, 
is that, but you know, he just, his style was so, um, oh, what's, I don't know. There's just fireworks everywhere, you know? And yeah. Mirakami is so just like understated and direct yeah. and short sentences, you know, and yeah. that kind of thing. So whatever. All right. We're going to, we're going to figure out a time to do this. And, uh, uh, yeah, so we've, we've got that on deck, but, um, Hey man, I just want to say thanks for today's conversation. I mean, this was cool to connect yeah. and, uh, psyched to, to learn more about where you've been and, and what you're up to now and looking forward to see what your path looks like going forward. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, Jonathan, I enjoyed it. Awesome. Talk to you soon. Well, that's it for this edition of Off the Couch. I want to say thanks to Anton for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward. And we will talk to you later this week over on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, our Gear 30 podcast, and then next Monday over on our Blister podcast. That's what we have on tap, and we'll talk to you later.